Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping wit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy, guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duval Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duval. Ho, 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 Duval Nation. Thank you, everyone, for this warm welcome. Thank you, thank you. I am Derek. This is the Derek Duval Show. We are two Read that. One, two, two weeks away from Christmas. Holy hell, I cannot believe it's going to be the end of 2021. You know, the year that wasn't supposed to be as bad as 2020, but was still able to suck just as much. Do we have huge aspirations for 2022? Better not get our hopes up with the way things are going right now. So, again, hello everyone. What's been going on with me? Well, first off, I promised you a review, and when I say I'm going to do something, it's practically gospel. So yes, I have seen the new Ghostbusters Afterlife, and folks, if you haven't seen it yet, get out and do it right now. If, like me, you saw the original in the theaters, this will transport you back to a time when things were, well, quite a lot simpler. I won't spoil the plot, but it's a lot of fun, it's well-written, and yes, there are tons of cameos. That being said, I want to just point out that the new Proton Pack and the Neutrona Wand are one of the most dangerous movie weapons out there. And putting it in the hands of a kid was like, whoa! But yeah, get out there, see it on IMAX if you can, as this movie deserves to be seen on the biggest screen and with the best audio experience you can have. The last episode with Cassie from the YouTube show Popcorn in Bed, huge success. And I want to thank her again for taking the time to come on. I got some absolutely phenomenal feedback, all positive for a change. And hearing that makes all the work this show requires absolutely worth it. Make sure to check out the episode in case you haven't heard it already after you finish this one. This is episode 33 of the Derek Duvall Show, and we have a very interesting one for you. We welcome the hugely popular band Them Fantasies on to talk about their humble musical beginnings, forming one of the most interesting and musically delighting upcoming bands in the business today, and so much more. Here, I just got to say it real fast, because I don't want to get a bunch of hate on the on the internets. This interview comes with some adult language, and I'm doing the air quotes when I say that, adult language. So if you're listening to this at work or at church or whatever it is you guys do, might want to put some headphones on for this one. So let's go ahead and get this party started. Duval Nation, rise to your feet and welcome all the way from the sunny city of angels, Los Angeles, California, the band, Them Fantasies. Eric, Max, Dominic, welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather out there with you guys today? Oh, it is sunny over here, Derek. We are having a great time. And how's Nashville? 
Uh, Nashville's treating me pretty well. It's uh, freaking 70 degrees and like mildly warm. It was raining. But now we're chilling. It's beautiful and sunny. I'm in the, the kind of outskirts of it. I like to start my interviews with the same question uh, that I ask everyone who comes on my show. And that is, how has it been navigating the COVID-19 pandemic for you guys? Um, any one of you can start first. Absolutely. Well, see, we were actually in school um, when COVID hit. We were actually finishing up our last quarter of all of our senior years uh, of college. Uh, and so that was pretty crazy. Um, when it first started, you know, it was kind of fun because no teachers really knew how to do the online thing yet, especially in music school, because we all went to school out in Boston together. Um, so that was kind of like a, an interesting limbo time, you know, where the classes were kind of eased up and it felt nice just you know, having the world on pause for a second to like take time for ourselves and relax, you know, it'd be a, it had been a very busy semester and, and years leading up to that, of course. But as the pandemic went on and we graduated in May, we really started honestly writing as many uh, songs as we could during that period, you know, because we were locked down anyways. And we had songs that we wanted to record in the studios at our school at Berkeley. And um, unfortunately, you know, when the pandemic hit, we didn't have access to those studios anymore. Mm -hmm. So it kind of put our process off by about a year. But during that year, you know, we were able to, I think, elaborate on those tunes a lot more. You know, we really took some time aside for ourselves to really step up, I think, not just like what we wanted to do with what our dreams were, but what our overarching artistry was and what we wanted to portray to the world and what caliber of songs we were going to write you know our songwriting drastically improved during that measure because that was something that we could think about you know i think uh live performances were definitely our main thing they still definitely are but kind of having live elements out of the aspect for that period of time really brought all the attention to songwriting and production and just in studio creation in the bedroom in the in the home studio creation and i think that was really good for us so yeah, that's large. Oh, I mean, largely just like when you're given a situation that limits you and what you're able to do, you have to find creative solutions within it. So I think it pushed us in directions that we weren't really comfortable with that really have paid off in the long run. And we've been, you know, honestly reaping the benefits from it. Like we never thought we'd be doing this much TikTok, you know, <laughs> or this much social media content in this kind of way. But it's been amazing with us. Was, we had some other musicians who've been on the show in the past, and one of them said it was kind of like you know the Great Reset. That's what a lot of people are calling it. And some of them who were actually are you know successful musicians who actually you know have a following and stuff. Like that, they said it kind of made them have to go back and reestablish themselves, you know, as a garage as a garage band. And basically, it's like you know, you're working at your home, you're trying to figure out you know how to make your 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 room sound good and so forth. And I find that very interesting with the way you guys said that. Well, absolutely, it was nice. Like like I said, you know. We, we are all performers at heart. You know, that is our favorite element of the industry that we work in. You know, we love performing. We love captivating audiences with energy and getting them involved. And, you know, we all have history performing on stages. You know, I was a dancer for a very long time since I was like three years old. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're used to being on the stage. But when that was taken away, of course, obviously, everybody knows the live industry, the live performance industry in particular uh, was incredible, was hit so hard, you know, obviously not just music, but any sort of live performances. So with that element being gone, it really took away, uh, it, sorry, not took away. It really put all of our focus onto making, making the best songs that we could, you know, and that was something that was really beneficial for us. And, and I, I was grateful, you know, to be able to have positive things come out of that, you know? 
Now, in my family, the city of Boston has a, holds a very special place in my heart. Uh, what was it like growing up there? Um, so we're not necessarily all from Boston. Uh, I'm from New Hampshire. I'm the only one from New England, though. Dom is from Madison, and Max is from Columbus, Ohio. This is Eric, by the way. Yeah, it's Eric. Ah. Um, so we, we all moved to Boston to go to school at Berkeley. Um, but I think to me personally, Boston holds like a big place in my heart as well. Being from New England, it was growing up, we'd go down there on the weekends. And, you know, we I lived in a very small town in New Hampshire. So getting into the big city, uh, being a Boston sports fan, I'm huge Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics fans, you know, mm. uh, the city has a really, really good vibe. And I think us being there was, was really, really helpful. Uh, and obviously, you know, Berkeley played a big part of that. Yeah. I can't speak highly enough of Boston. I think it's a great city. I think eventually, uh, towards the end of our career at Berkeley, we had kind of, uh, we were kind of ready to move on from the music scene there, at least. Uh, it's not nearly as good as you would think, unfortunately, but th that being said, it, especially for the music that we play, you know, we have a lot of friends out there. Um, I'll name drop one of them. The, this band that's killing it, the Q-Tip Bandits. Yeah. They're really navigating uh, that whole New England scene, and they're doing super well. They're great guys uh, and great girls, too. But, yeah, I think just for us, you know, we were ready to move on to something, I think, a little bit larger of a scene. And just, just because, I, you know, I, both Max and I also have family in the Southern California region. Um, Actually, my cousin lives like 10 minutes away from me. Uh, but yeah, it, we were looking forward to getting out to Los Angeles just because of how unique you can be and how different you can be from anything. And like, even if people don't necessarily vibe with it, they'll respect it, you know? And that's something that I do like about this kind of LA and Southern California thing. You know, you have so many people trying to be something special, but I think something special comes from an environment like that. You know, it, it develops a respect for things that are so different, you know, than what you're used to. And I think that's really valuable. You know? Yeah. We had a musician um, who came on a couple of months ago. He was a very famous musician, uh, worked with the Grateful Dead, Fleetwood Mac and so forth. And uh, he came up through Boston with the Boston sound. If you remember that from the, the 60s, psychedelic rock, psychedelic pop, that sort of thing. So it was when you say that, it's kind of interesting that, you know, maybe like, that sound has kind of faded away to where, you know, not what you have now currently. So that brings me to my next question is why exactly Berkeley? Well, for, for Berkeley, I mean, the thing about the three of us is that, you know, there's, there's a saying, I think, uh, that's just kind of, you know, along people in the music industry, it's like, you gotta be, you know, excuse, excuse my profanity, but you gotta be pretty fat shit crazy to want to be in the music industry. So like, the three of us, we have to do this. You know, we have to work in music because that is what we know we were put on this earth to do. You know, all three of us, regardless of being in them fantasies, we have decided to, to devote our lives to music because we wouldn't be happy doing anything else, you know? And that is, I think, why we chose Berkeley. You know, all three of us chose to go to music school before we knew each other, you know, before we knew them fantasies was going to be a thing. And... You know, and I think that the three of us also have a general respect for each other, not only as band members, but just as like musicians, because all three of us, you know, play with other artists as well as like sidemen. And, um, you know, we also write, you know, individually for other artists as well. And, you know, so so we're all very musically involved, not just in them fantasies as well. You know, and so, yeah, I mean, we're just musicians. That's why, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I would I would say also just add on to that berkeley is like a, like a contemporary music school uh and i think that was a big 
thing for all of us wanting to go because I mean we we knew we wanted to go to music school and I know all of us applied to other music schools with some of which would be like more conservatory style stuff which is mainly just classical and jazz and while we're all jazz trained and two of us are, are classically trained we weren't really trying to do that you know that would very much pigeonhole our musical growth into one or two specific genres uh, and we really wanted to have the option to explore every aspect of music and all the genres that it has to offer. Berkeley was no, clearly the number one choice pretty much in the world for that one, you know, offering anything from metal to reggae to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and honestly, music school isn't always the answer for things like this. But I think all three of us kind of thrived in an academic setting. And all three of us were fortunate enough to have, you know, scholarships to help us go. Yeah. Uh, and that it just made sense, you know, at that point, you know, when you're when you're done with high school. And all three of us, you know, we were in, you know, relatively small markets. We weren't in Los Angeles or New York or Nashville, you know, Eric's from freaking New Hampshire in a small town. I am from Madison, Wisconsin, which is a great place, but it's not massive or anything. You know, it's a very small city uh, compared to Los Angeles. And, uh, and Max is also from Columbus, Ohio. So, you know, the three of us post 18, you know, when we graduate high school, what, what the hell are we going to do? You know, we we knew we wanted to try to break into the music industry and get out of our hometown. Exactly, and to get out of the hometown. And and we could have just gone straight for it, but we learned so many valuable things, I think, at music school that really helped us prepare for the industry. But it's funny, at the same time, it's the exact opposite where like so many things that you just can't teach, you know, that it's just hands on. You know, when you're when you're discussing, you know, song splits or something like that, you know, when you're all writing together or discussing, you know, how to cut something and the teams that it goes through that you, you can't really teach that at school because it changes every two years, you know? Well, Berkeley, I think is just a jumping off point. You know, it's like you go there to kind of just understand like, okay, what is the music industry like? I mean, you're in a collegiate setting, which isn't exactly how it works, but you're just introduced to a lot of stuff. You know, yeah. I went there because I love playing drums and I wanted to get really good at it. And I also wanted to kind of expand like, what is the music industry? Where do I fit in on this? I did the freaking business degree and realized that all I want to do is be on stage, you know, <laughs> but I'm glad I went through it because I learned a lot from it. And, you know, Berkeley seemed like the only place that I could go and do that and explore. And I was lucky enough to be able to do it, man. Cause it's like, it's not, it's, it's, there's so many different people that come to that school and it's just, I'm so grateful that I was able to. What is, was the exact moment you all decided to form them fantasies and where did that name come from exactly? <laughs> totally, man. So, uh, Them Fantasies actually started as a completely different project around early 2017. Uh, and, and it was actually just Eric and I. Um, we had played with a few drummers uh, before we found Max, but, you know, it, we really didn't get serious, I think, about Them Fantasies. It's not even a matter of getting serious. It's just the project wasn't really aligned until we had our previous drummer before Max. Uh, his name is Steven Velasquez. He played with us for a while. Um, and then in about early 2018, we all studied abroad in Valencia together. And that's how we met Max because our drummer wasn't actually able to go. So we met Max actually in Spain, <laughs> uh, which is very funny to think about. Um, but yeah, so and another funny story actually was that Max actually auditioned for our band uh, a while ago. And we actually didn't uh, choose him because uh, <laughs> he wasn't good enough to be in the club. No, I'm just kidding. 
Um, yeah, man, I was the, I was like the for a while I was uh, like the mistress to like the yeah. girlfriend. You know, well, you know, he just he was still in his training arc. You know, he wasn't yeah. even cooking, so. It, it, you know, we really had to wait for, for Matt. <laughs> hey, it's part of, it's part of my freaking hero's journey, you know. It's just like, you yeah. know, getting not making the first audition. So you just got to hit the practice room and get better. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I mean, when I auditioned, I was way worse. You know, like I could I could play, but I mean, it kind of lit some fire under me to get better. Absolutely. But but then also, you know, playing in Spain with Max, you know, we, the three of us really developed a bond. Um, but when we came back, uh, we actually played with our other drummer, <laughs> Steven, um, for another year. And but Max really, I think, during that year was really dedicated to practicing and, and, and upping his musicianship and artistry and craft. And when when things weren't starting to work out with Steven anymore due to, you know, different uh, priorities and things like that, of course, you know, naturally. Uh, Max came on board and it's been super solid ever since. And moving out to Los Angeles in the middle of the pandemic is really, we all consider it to be like our kind of our new start. You know, I don't want to be uh, generic with the the whole like fresh restart kind of thing, but like it definitely marks a new uh, place for us. It's not like practice anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. And I think uh, for the name, some fantasies. So freshman year when Dom and I were in, this project under the different name it was called the blacklight district yeah big throwback there we played i think we played one show ever yeah and then our first drummer left and that um, show we actually we didn't but somebody at the show got robbed at gunpoint while we were playing yeah that was real uh really really weird <laughs> yeah so we had a song that we wrote during that time uh i think during that first year we wrote maybe five or six songs together and one of them was called them fantasies Mm-hmm. which was taken which is, off of a lyric yeah it's off of a lyric of that song and it's on our debut uh lp that we released back in 2019 and when our drummer left we you know we got a new drummer and we realized we need to change the name and so we were coming up with ideas and that one seemed pretty unique uh we thought the song was very good we still like the song we still play it occasionally and so we just took that lyric from the song and we're like well you know, you know, Black Sabbath has a song called Black Sabbath on an album called Black Sabbath. So <laughs> we can have a song and a band called with the same name. Yeah. But now I don't think we can do a self-titled uh, album. <laughs> I don't think it's yeah, confusing. <laughs> Let's see here. Uh, what would be the biggest obstacle you guys had to overcome since you guys got started? Ooh, um, the biggest obstacle probably uh, just like honestly reinventing our over and over and trying to find the right audiences you know like when we moved out to to los angeles it was the first time that we actually started to get like a following on on tiktok and that was our first success with like any sort of like social media or anything like that and tiktok is like a very up and down platform but but we found you know thousands of people that really really like us and you know we're in the process of navigating them over to our our spotify and trying to navigate them to other platforms and things like that but it's it's really fun to see so many people genuinely enjoy what you do. And that was kind of our first taste at that. So I think the idea, the overarching thing is just a matter of like re-strategizing when something isn't working. You know, and we're going to have to re-strategize so many more times, you know, in our career. There's going to be so many more failures to have. And I think that a lot of artists, it's very easy to get discouraged by that amount of failures. But that's also just how you grow you know saying you got to fail way more times than you succeed you know it's like and you know dom was saying like we failed a bunch and probably gonna keep failing you know quote unquote failing 
continuously, but each time we learn something, we get a little bit better and it kind of just like kind of adds to our character and adds to like, eventually we're going to get that win. You know, you were getting ready, hopefully to, you know, get lucky, you know, getting prepared to get lucky through failing a few times. And mm-hmm. it's not just do one time either. It's just, a, it's a matter of accumulative wins. And, yeah. Little and, wins. Sorry. Yeah. Not just one big one. Yeah. I, I think all of us, you know, heavily agree that the, the idea of the big break and the, and the, you know, the, the big win or whatever that changes your life. Like, of course those things come, but like the real big win, the real thing in, in reality is just a bunch of little wins and a bunch of little successes accumulating over time, you know? And, 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 you know, I also think that genuinely the quicker that somebody jumps onto the scene and just absolutely blows the fuck up, you know, it's the, the quicker to the top, I think, Sometimes the quicker the fall, you know, it's yeah, because it's hard to tell to maintain when you don't have anything, you know, worked up or like, I don't, I don't want to say anything worked up, but when you don't have years of catalog and experience and, and and experience with, you know, getting traction and getting fans building up to that, if you get a giant amount of it all at once, that's really hard to maintain, you know, that's really hard to make longevity stay at those numbers when it bursts on so quick, you know what I mean? You mentioned earlier, but you said you'll have to fail to go. Other bands I've noticed, especially ones that have huge longevity, like Aerosmith, Depeche Mode, and stuff like that, they've constantly had to, David Bowie, had to constantly reinvent themselves with every culture shift. And I find that very interesting that you guys have uh, mentioned that as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, with our music, I mean, if you listen to some of the first stuff that that we made, um, you know, the the, the production and the mixing isn't isn't too good, but we released something on... uh, in 2018 called the ghosted ep and that was like kind of our first song and even songs on our our 2019 release our first full-length record um in boston which was called caffeine queen you know our music has drastically changed since then and there's still parts of us you know that define who we are as musicians like certain like you know little fun notes in the melody or like cool chord changes or interesting grooves you know things like that we call it the sauce (laughs) but um you know we our our singles, you know, Nice Guy that we just put out and Spoiled, which we put out a month ago, are it's a completely different direction that we once were in because, like you said, it's important for artists to reinvent themselves and change with culture. And otherwise, you know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over, I mean, it can work, but then you can't adapt to new times and new culture. Yeah, exactly. Every band draws on inspiration. Uh, this first one is for Dominic, okay? Yeah. You are lead vocalist and the bassist. You fall mm-hmm. into a pretty unique little group there uh, with members. I mean, you got Paul McCartney, Geddy Lee, uh, Roger Waters, and of course Sting. When you hear this, yeah. how does that make you feel? Well, it makes me feel like I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> uh, to be completely honest, it makes me feel uh, no. But, but one one of my favorite bassists and vocalists too, uh, Thundercat, is a, also a huge inspiration on me. I, I it feels really nice, you know, that that there's like a, an element of something that is not been utilized as much as say like a guitarist lead vocalist or something like that you know um but i want to try my best to, to break the stigma um that somebody one of our classmates was saying a while ago is like if you have a multi-instrumentalist in, in, multi that like sings and plays an instrument or they play an instrument and sing it's like they're either really good at one and then like just kind of okay at the other or like pretty good at you know the bass or the guitar and just kind of okay at singing and like you can never have one where they're on like the same caliber and i say fuck that you know like i'm i'm trying to do 
trying to try I'm you know, I would love to try to break down that stigma and put the thousand hours into, you know, practicing everything. I've been singing, you know, for as long as I can remember since I was three or four. I I've sang in a lot of different contexts from like musical theater to even more like classic classical opera stuff. But people still tell me I sound like fucking Brendan Urie. <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah, that and then of course I've been listening to so much, you know, Thundercat and Anderson Pack, you know, in in the bass lines that are that are in there has just fundamentally kind of changed me. As well as, you know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers was such a foundational thing. Fleas touch and everything. Um but yeah, to answer your question, it makes me feel like I got a lot of work to do, but it makes me feel, you know, like I'm part of something important, you know, and, and that makes me happy. <laughs> Max, who is the greatest drummer of all time? That's uh, that's a I don't know. I mean, you, you can pick whoever you want. Greatest is such a relative term, man. Yes, like I don't know. I I can't even pick one. Uh, there's drummers I really like, but having a greatest, like you know, a lot of talk to a lot of boomers and like Neil Peart's the best drummer of all time. Like Neil Peart's awesome, man. He's super sick. He was great at what he did. He was he was the greatest at being Neil Peart. So like, mm. thing is, like, there's a Corey Wong song. Actually, I can't remember the name of it. He just goes on this rant in the middle of the song. He's like, you can never be the next Pat Matheny, you can only be the best at yourself. Right. So it's like, there's drummers that I think are freaking amazing. Like Nate Smith, one of my absolute favorites of all time. He's insane, like jazz and like funk drummer. When it comes to rock guys, like, I mean, I really like, I grew up loving like Chad Smith, like yeah. Red and Chili Peppers is like super near and dear to my heart. But even, I don't know, the concept of the greatest of all time, I don't think exists in music, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I think it can when you have like, physical records like sports um but i mean there's drummers that are so freaking nuts i love tony williams i mean i love jazz drummers too um but it's really I mean, honestly anderson pack is freaking amazing drummers yeah for me, like for me right now the hardest working in my opinion the hardest working probably the most talented drummer i think in the game today uh probably gavin harrison uh british prog rock drummer i've never seen anyone who can just destroy a kit like he can it's it's, it's insane I, if you haven't heard of him, I, I strongly advise you to seek him out. I would check him out. Sounds good. Do you know Yusuf Days? It's also part of like the UK scene. I mean, he's one of my absolute favorites. Right? He's playing with Tom Mish a bunch. He's just kind of that crew. Mm. Um, I mean, I love prog rock too. Nick oh, there's so many that are just such an incredible high level. But yeah, I'll yeah. totally check Gavin out. Yeah. Eric, who is the most dominant gu guitar player currently in music? Most dominant guitar player currently? Yeah. I would say there's there's probably a few depending on genre. I think someone who has emerged in the past couple of years who was a huge influence on me and also pretty much everyone in this band is Corey Wong. Mm. He busted into the scene a couple of years ago and that man just releases a ridiculous amount of music every year. He's constantly releasing music and it's all like fantastic quality. He's working with amazing artists. Um, and he's just absolutely blowing the funk guitar scene wide open right now. I don't think there's anyone else that's doing what he's doing. Even uh, transcending the funk guitar scene, like just, you know, everything. Yeah, he's he so much more to come to. Oh. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. And he's like, you know, he started out with Wolfpack and moved on from there. So definitely a huge, huge inspiration for me and uh, somebody who just absolutely slays on the six string would, would, be, would be Corey Wong, I would say. So let's talk about Caffeine Queen. How long did that album take to put together? And what was the reception to that first album? Totally. Um, it took about, well, you know, some of the songs that were on there were songs that Eric and I wrote in like 2017. So 
uh, and there were also songs that we wrote that year in 2019. So that was just kind of the way that, that we look at that record. It's just kind of the accumulation of what we worked on while we were in Boston, you know, and like what we were as a band when we were in Boston. Cause you know, we are very, we like to think that we're very far away from, from what we were then, you know? So that is kind of what that record, at least to me. And I think, I think I can speak for the other guys when I say that too. That's kind of what that record means to us. It's like a, a a database and a blueprint for like what was what we were in Boston, you know, and and that was really cool. You know, we were we were just kind of a different band than than we were now. You know, there's a lot of stuff and like you were saying, you like prog rock. We had some stuff in section in like 15 and like a whole song in like seven eight, yeah. you know, and like and that was really fun. You know, we love that. I grew up listening to like so much like Soundgarden. That's where I really wanted to you know, implement some of that. But the reception of it was really cool. There there were songs that were very different from each other um, all over it. Like I said, you know, some of them were written in 2017, others in 2019. And it was all of our first time putting together a full-length record. And that was really fun for us as well and important for our artistry. Um, we got like some, you know, some underground like magazines and, you know, press to, to do things. And we did our best to playlist it. But, you know, it didn't really like pop off or anything but it wasn't really about that i don't think we also we were in college so like it took us just more time to do everything in general because like we were basically doing it on the side as well as full-time school class you know we were working some jobs as well to try to get the money to we actually crowdfunded that whole album uh so that we could like do our best and like also put on like a little tour in support of it and whatnot yes yeah so it was cool to see that I would say for that album specifically, a lot of people seem to have different favorite songs, which is really interesting. It really differed from person to person. It wasn't like an overarching, this song is the best or this one is the best. Everyone like kind of had their own opinion, which I, I kind of liked hearing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you find, you mentioned earlier Soundgarden. Um, I have a, I think Chris Cornell, one of the greatest vocalists probably oh, yeah. of all time. Me personally, I was, it's a massive loss because he was a huge idol of mine. Oh. I, I loved his, yeah, his music was incredible. I saw Soundgarden oh, in the early '90s. It was it was crazy. You, you said you saw them in the early '90s. Mm-hmm, I did. Oh man, I'm so jealous. Oh, I, I mean, I saw Alice in Chains with Lane in the early '90s. Um, oh, dude, Box, you name it. I saw it all. So that's never got awesome, to see man. Nirvana. That's... that's the only one I never got to see Nirvana. Nah, that's but, okay, uh, man. That's like pretty hard. I mean, yeah. pretty hard to do now, obviously, but. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, Chris Cornell was is easily one of the most important musicians to me. Like, I think he's fun. Some of his melodic components, not only not only in his performance aspects, but like the way that he writes and you know the the choices that he chooses. I think part of that has just become a part of what my artistry is to an extent, where I can feel kind of what he does and what I do, even if I'm writing something, if I'm like writing melodies over like a pop or EDM type song, you know, like regardless, like melodically there's going to be a little bit of him and what I do. And I think that's really cool, you know? Um, but regardless, he's very uh, uh, important to me. I saw Soundgarden twice live and I saw one of his uh, solo shows, the, the songbook acoustic shows. Not, yeah, um, was that was talk really about cool. that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah, nice. man, but that was awesome. So, yeah. Bad Motorfinger and super unknown. Those records were so freaking cool to me. Every now and again on Sirius XM, uh, I listen to it when I'm when I'm working, and they'll have on the uh, lithium station. They'll do the you know the songbook or the live sessions, and uh, Chris Cornell's comes on there all the time. They, they, it's, it's very popular. They love to repeat it, and I don't know what it is, but I will just sob like a little girl with a skin knee when I hear "Like a Stone" 
acoustic live. I know, just, like it's so, so sad, dude. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it was I was devastating when 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 he passed away. You know, it was, especially just because like it was just so out of like you know it, it felt like it was just kind of out of nowhere especially as like a longtime fan for as long as i can remember you know my mother introduced me to him a while ago um but but yeah especially because like you know all the other grunge people that unfortunately passed away with their own demons you know mm-hmm. it was between kurt and lane uh, and you know well that was a little bit later but you know, all those guys made it out of the 90s you know and they had their respective careers and they had their lives together but there are some you know Anthony Kiedis from the Red Actually Peppers was talking about Chris Cornell once, and he was like, you know, he was asked about it after he, after he passed away. And he was like, you know, out of all the things that, you know, I lived in, the demons that I faced, I don't know that type of pain. You know, I, I, I don't want to be asked about that because I don't know that type of pain is what he said, you know, and I really respect that. You know, there's, there's a lot of people, you know, mental health is, you know, you hear it from everybody, but mental health is just so all over the place for so many people. And you really never know what some people are going through so i think his his death will kind of always be a reminder of that to me personally just because of how much he resonated with me right but yeah chris cornell he's a god (laughs) duval nation we are going to go ahead and take a small break this will give you a chance to stretch those legs of yours refill your beverage of choice do some of those really nice deep breathing exercises you know clouseau style Listen to two promos for friends of the show, and we will be right back. Have you ever thought about having a beer with Ted Bundy? Or been anally probed at Area 51? Perhaps go to dinner with Jeffrey Dahmer? Taking a car ride with JFK? Or enter a romantic relationship with OJ Simpson? If so, then crack a cold one. Pub Time Podcast just might be for you. Boy, what a great campsite. Yeah, here's more wood for the fire. No, my phones are on fire. Run for the stream. Don't run. Here, let me wrap this around you. You okay? Lucky thing you were around, spirit. Lucky thing you didn't run. Remember, running only makes the fire worse. If your clothes catch fire, wrap yourself in a rug or blanket. And roll on the ground to smother the flames. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! This is B-Word, one half of the host of the Bleach Brothers podcast. My buddy Jake the Hater, Jake the Tailgater, joins me every single week on Sundays to cover things like dadisms, food and beverage, and all things entertainment. And just like Sunday church, when you get out, you can come and enjoy all the dirty talk and get sanitized. Welcome back, Duval Nation. I heard the most random fact today. Did you know popular children's novelist Dr. Seuss invented the word nerd? <laughs> Interesting, eh? I sure as hell thought so. Anyways, let's get right back into it. Duval Nation, here is the conclusion of our interview with the popular band Them Fantasies. Yeah, so the new single is Nice Guy. Before we play this song, please give me some context so we can uh, set up the song properly. Absolutely. Well... So this song is something that is, I think, a very, very important topic uh, that a lot of people don't really hear about enough. And it's from the interesting perspective from from us. Every guy has that one friend, you know, one male friend or multiple. Yeah, that that treats women inappropriately. Right. And they, they do questionable things. 
uh, and they just treat them differently than the rest of their guy friends. And, you know, they make them feel uncomfortable and all of the other guy friends don't really, they see it, but they don't really do anything about it. You know, it kind of falls on deaf ears because they don't want to make a scene. They don't want to call out, call them out because it's their friend. When at the end of the day, it's important to be holding, you know, people like this accountable because how else are you going to learn? You know? And I don't think that that is a topic that has been really talked about a lot, you know, holding your male friends accountable from a male point of view. And we think that it's something that's really important for you guys. I mean, yeah, coming, coming out of college, obviously, you know, universities and colleges have a reputation for that kind of stuff being a little more rampant. Uh, And we definitely noticed it with, you know, a couple of our friends and we were put in the weird situation where sometimes like we don't even know that our friend is creepy until like a friend or like one of our female friends tells us, he's like, yo, this guy is like not super cool. He's making our friends feel a little bit sus. And we're like, fuck, you know, we, we don't really see that side of our friends that, that often because, you know, when they're hanging out with us, you know, they're, they're not going to be like that. Um, so it was definitely, it was, it was weird to hear that from some people that we, you know, we thought we knew so well and just made us feel like in a weird position where they're our close friends. And we want to continue a relationship with them. But at the same time, we definitely can't condone or defend their actions. And we don't want to be associated with people who are doing that. Of course. And it's important to be able to call those people out. It's no matter, yeah. no matter what your affiliation is with them. You know, if anything, and here's the, here's the crazy part. If anything, if they are your friend, then you owe that to them to hold them accountable. Because that's what somebody that loves them would do, right? Would tell them, hey, this is messed up. Hey, you can't treat people like this. But it's being think, oh, sorry. No, go for it. Oh, it's just, it's being generous to your friend, you know, and like they might not be aware of their behavior in the same way, or they could be aware of it. But regardless, you need to talk about it because if you don't talk about it, someone's gonna get hurt. And you know, even if they've just been kind of weird or creepy to some girls that you know, it's like you know, you don't know the whole situation. You don't know how many times they've done it. And like I know from personal experience, by not saying something, people get hurt. And we want to make sure that we kind of in the future. Make sure we say something. So that's what this whole song's about. Okay, Duval Nation, here it is. The brand new single from Them Fantasies, Nice Guy. My friend 
nice guy till you're not <laughs> Only sorry you got caught So when you hear the completed song, what kind, what sort of emotions does it elicit? Hmm. Well, I think more than anything, it's it's a matter of you know, it feels like this is something that needs to be heard. You know, I think it feels like wow, you know, this is such a milestone for for us as writers because we're writing about something that is you know more important than than any of us, and and kind of tapping into that and tapping into a a certain uh, what is it? Tapping into a certain subject that we wouldn't have tapped into before. And it feels nice because I feel like we're writing about something that a lot of fans and artists wouldn't really tackle, you know? And, and I think that that is a cool milestone for us, you know? Definitely, it's, definitely yeah, it's, into a, it's definitely tapping into a hot button issue. There's no question about that. And I, I think it's to be applauded. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it was definitely a challenge writing it for us because, you know, we wanted also to make it know palatable to people who are going to listen otherwise if you don't hear the song you don't hear the message so it was it was interesting kind of juxtaposing those lyrics with you know a chill indie rock song that you know you can bop your head to because we you know we wanted people to not only hear the message but actually like vibe with the song as a whole um and so that that was definitely a very interesting challenge for us but it, it was very fun and to to work Absolutely. And this song uh, was also one of the first songs um, that we have co-written with another person. Um, the lovely and talented Faride Blanco uh, also helped us write lyrics because we also think that with something with this, it's important to have a female perspective in there yeah. as well. You know, make sure that we have that, you know, especially, as, you know, talking about a subject like this and it's worth three white males. We wanted to make sure that, you know, our lyrics that we were writing were consistent and, you know, and that we're that we're not exactly exactly so having that female perspective very helpful yeah yeah it was, it was so it was so helpful because we were trying not to be preachy but also just speak kind of from our perspective you know it's like this is what we see and this is what we want to kind of change or this is you know at least how we need to express it mm -hmm. and having fa on the team is amazing because she as a woman has experienced people like this and really helped us see it from another angle mm -hmm. absolutely so what do you guys find to be the biggest thrill to touring and playing live shows? Uh, the, the energy that yeah. the crowd brings sometimes, you know? When you, we had a show a couple, probably like a month ago, like a month or two months ago, before we released Spoiled. And there are people in the crowd who were singing our song back to us that had not been released. Mm. And we were just, fuck, that's so cool. That's so awesome. Uh, so I guess like what, obviously all of the aspects of performing live is just really thrilling to us. We absolutely love it. It's what we crave. But when the audience is so into it that like we can feed off of their energy, like that is really a thrill. That really gets our adrenaline going. Yeah, that kind of thing is like better than any drug on the market, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. I crave being on stage more than anything. It's my favorite 
like, you know, thing I can possibly do. And that's why I'm in music. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I, before anything else, I'm a performer, I think. And I just want to be in front of people because it just feels like I need to be there. And sharing an experience with an audience and kind of having that moment with people, that kind of collective, emotionally, like tumultuous environment is just something that hits different, you know? I think I think it resonates with us so much, too, because at the end of the day, you know, what what, what is our favorite part about it? To me, my favorite part about it is that it feels like I'm doing what I was supposed to do. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like I'm doing what I was put on this earth to do, you know, and, and tapping into an energy kind of fields beyond my comprehension. You know? And I'm sure you guys feel a very similar way. You know, it's funny. I'm not going to name drop the guy because it's just not who I am. But I spoke to a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer about two years ago now. And I asked him, he's in his 70s now. And I asked him, said, what keeps you going? You know, like, what, what is it that drives you? Why, why do you keep doing this? And he says, it's the applause. He says, it's the, it's the greatest drug that won't kill you. That's, I think it was the phrase he said. And I wow. was, it, just, it, it was so profound, yet so simple. And uh, that one has kind of stuck with me for the longest time. I like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, he just said that he thinks that's a great quote. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned batshit crazy. So I got to ask, what is the craziest thing you have seen in the music business? Was it the robbery or something else? Just, just sometimes people really don't know like what they're doing. Like I've heard horror stories. This didn't happen to any of us in particular, but but I've heard horror stories of people being like, "Oh, I'm going to work with this artist, and." they're going to help me for my project and we're all going to write the song together, but I'm not going to credit them because they didn't really do as much as I wanted them to do. Mm-hmm. So instead of crediting them as songwriters, I'm going to credit them as vibe writers or like <laughs> some stuff like that. Like, and like, so it ends up being a giant dispute ends up being crazy. Like, I, I don't know. Some people just have the audacity to some pretty crazy and selfish things when everybody's kind of grasping for attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I got a, I got a crazy story too. It's like I was hired by a band leader to go play the show in Vienna, Austria. And it ended up, uh, there's lots of details, but essentially this band leader punched the other band leader in the face on stage and got arrested. <laughs> I was just stuck in Vienna, Austria. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes things like that just happen. You just roll with it. You just see weird things and you experience it and you become great stories and you laugh about it later. That's rock and roll, man. Rock and roll. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. So what are your opinions right now on the state of music streaming? Uh, interesting question. Yeah, a very, very good question. It, it's kind of loaded, right? You know, there's so many pros and so many cons. The pros being... Holy shit, there's so much incredible music to be influenced by, to spread. There's so much incredible artistry. Look at where human achievement has gone. Look at all of these crazy things. So many opportunities as artists, too, you know, to get our music in front of, you know, way more people than we probably could have in the 70s. Yeah. Something like that. Cons being, of course, (laughs) the, the people up at the top, you know, the gatekeepers up the top of these streaming services, you know, obviously the royalty system and how much the artists make is, is very very low um but not even not if, if that wasn't even enough it's also a matter of like because there's so much incredible music on these on these platforms it becomes very saturated with so you know spotify has like what sixty thousand uploads a day like how are you going to listen to all that you know how are you going to stand out from the crowd how are you going to do this and that's something that we're figuring out you know but you know luckily the three of us have devoted our lives to figuring things like this out and we'll have no problem, you know, 
transitioning into that and getting, you know, more streams. And we know that we will, cause we believe in it. You know, we believe in the product that we have, but regardless, yeah, I, I think that it's a good and a bad thing. It's also just kind of where we're at. You know, I don't want to sit and complain about something that is above our control. You know, what, what is that going to do? You know, oh, there's an old adage that like, you know, before the streaming service, like the record would make the most amount of money and then touring would support the record. And I think it's opposite now. It's like you put out music and you don't expect to make that much money on it, but the music is a means of promoting your tour. And for me as a live musician, that sounds freaking awesome. Because I mean, like, I think I like the ability to listen to anything at all times. Maybe that's like a little selfish of me or me devaluing recorded music. But I think it's such an incredible opportunity as a musician just to listen to so many different things and have such a widespread that I think the honestly, I think the benefits outweigh the cons, even though the industry kind of has a weird chokehold on the streaming, like the, the elite industry has on the streaming services. So it's it's a push and pull. It's just kind of the state of reality. It's like you can't change it. So let's work within it mm-hmm. yeah and like you were saying about those those uh you know crazy legendary artists you know like all the ones that have like longevity it's the same thing you you uh, you adapt you know you change with things you can't you, you can't feel stuck on dang the industry was so much better 20 years ago 30 years ago there are just different problems you know this is just one of the problems that has, has, has come up a problem that has not been solved yet you know but, you know, new problems come and go, you know, and there's always going to be the same kind of struggle just through different things, you know, and that's just kind of where I think streaming is at. It's just something that will we'll get sorted out eventually, but it's also the standard, you know, and it has incredible power and opportunity. And I think a lot of people, you know, shy away from it or have negative opinions of it because they long for something from the past. But, that's you know, I just don't think that's productive, you know. Yeah. So what does the future hold for them fantasies? Well, we'll be releasing uh, our EP with all of these songs on it. You know, we got one more single coming out in about a month or so. And then our EP will be coming out tentatively November 5th. You got a music video coming out? Yep. You got a music video coming out on October 9th for our song Spoiled AF. And we are, you know, we upload uh you know pretty consistent content to tiktok and instagram and we're in the process of growing our fan base and and looking for for you know to expand our team of people that can help us out um and where what's next for us i mean hopefully in the next few years you know you'll you'll be seeing us on on tours you know you'll be seeing us you know play our hearts out and devoting our craft devoting our lives to our craft in the same way that we're doing now just on a different scale you know I mean, I believe in manifesting it. You know, I know it's kind of gimmicky and LAE, but I also think there's some merit in it. So I'm going to say it right now. We're going to headline Coachella eventually. It's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to have goals. No, yeah. So, you know. Yeah, it's yeah very every, everybody else. We're going to do yeah. it or die trying, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, everybody everybody that goes up to the top, you know, they they believe in themselves first and foremost, and they understand themselves because you have to look at your artistry objectively it's not selfish if you say hey we have something so special that other people believe in and that i believe in and that's what matters the most you know and this is going to do this and i will die trying making sure that we do this and luckily you know we have other friends in the industry and other other people that you know do similar things to us they hear our music too and they say the same thing you know, they believe in the music too. We do have something special. If it's not for you, 
you know, that's okay. You know, everything is subjective, but, but we believe in what we do and we're going to, we're going to drive it up there. That last thing you just said, basically this is how I feel about what I do. Um, you know, I try to get it, you know, to be one of the most popular things ever. So it's important. To have of goals, course. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You got to chase them. You got to chase so, them. Cause otherwise, so okay, sorry. If you, don't, you know, sorry. Otherwise, if you don't chase goals, you just, you know, you regret them later. You know, yeah. you always wonder what could have been. And, and that's not, I think what, the three of us, including yourself, I don't think that's what any of us want to do, you know? Yeah. So can you please tell my listeners how best to find you on social media? Absolutely. Um, Hit us up on TikTok at them fantasies. Yep. Them underscore fantasies. Uh, we're on TikTok, on Instagram. Um, give us a follow on Spotify and stay up to date with the music that we are releasing. Um, but we are the most active on our TikTok and Instagram. And we will be releasing lots of music on, our, on all platforms, but Spotify and Apple Music. Nice. Definitely give us a follow on there. And go ahead and subscribe to us on, uh, on YouTube if you're really feeling it. Uh, we're putting out music videos and stuff of that caliber. And it's not as frequent, but you'll definitely see it first if you subscribe. So I like to finish my interviews with my absolute favorite question. And each one of you can answer this individually. So we'll, we'll go through the list. And the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would want to say to the people of Earth? Mm. Oh. Max, you go ahead and uh, start first. Uh, okay. Please don't cook, Raj. Uh, uh, so don't cook chicken from frozen. Always de-thaw first. I think a lot. Of, I think a lot of people need to know that, and I'm happy to tell the world. <laughs> yeah, right. and make sure that you heat up. The, the pan heat up the oil in the pan uh before before you throw things in uh don't don't throw it in while the oil is is yeah. lukewarm salt and pepper to taste you know but to, like if you add potatoes to your dish you can take down the salt content um that that goes out to our entire generation i don't know <laughs> <laughs> don't be afraid to eat chicken uh a, a little less dry than you think it needs to be chicken tartare Chicken tartar yeah. is, is great. All right. But don't eat it medium rare. Oh, Lord. Okay. Yeah, Dom, you can go next. <laughs> well, you know, apart from everything else that, that, that we've said, you know, we have something really special and, and we know that, that you guys would love it. Give us a follow on our TikTok and Instagram. Give us a follow on Spotify. You know, we're going to be around. Um, but it's, aside from that, um, yeah, I don't know. We're, I think the, the, the chicken tartar is pretty pretty important you know so so just, <laughs> don't be afraid to try to think nice right um right. i would say people of earth uh you know from time to time just look up from your fucking phone say, say what up to the real world experience it yeah I, what was that really cool quote from phoebe bridgers she's like someday when i grow up i'm gonna look up from my phone <laughs> it's like maybe one day we'll get there. that's sick you know like that's cool when we grow up we will we will look up from our phones too nice but for right guys, now we're good guys thank you ever so much for coming on the show this has been an absolute treat for me yeah thanks so much you know we, we we appreciate your questions they're very thoughtful you know we appreciate you taking the time yeah man yeah thank you very much so appreciate it you're welcome nice guy the new single is available on all streaming platforms or wherever you get your music and just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 33 
of the Derek Duvall Show. I want to thank Eric, Max, Dominic for taking the time out of their busy schedules for a great conversation. You can find Nice Guy and their new album, Completely Insane, out now wherever you buy your music. We are getting closer to Christmas, like I mentioned in the intro. This is your weekly reminder that while I want every puppy rescued and put in a forever home, dogs do not make good Christmas presents. More dogs are surrendered back to shelters around this time of year, and if you've ever seen what happens to a surrendered dog, it will 100% change the way you feel about the lifelong commitment of owning a dog. If you want to help homeless dogs but cannot commit to owning a pup, I strongly advise you to make a donation either with food or toys or a financial one to your local animal shelter or rescue group. Every penny helps. Speaking of Christmas... There are two major films being released, and I cannot wait to see both of them. Of course, Spider-Man, because, well, it's Spider-Man, and they are bringing villains from the Raimi universe to this film. I cannot believe it. I consider Spider-Man 2 to be one of the top five greatest superhero films of all time. So looking forward to that one. But for yours truly, the one I am dying to see is The Matrix Resurrections. I am a complete diehard for the Matrix universe. Yes, even the sequels. And I just cannot wait to see Keanu and company slip back into those roles, hopefully seamlessly. I remember the first time I saw The Matrix in theaters. That was in 1999. Yes, kids, 1999. I was completely blown away. And it's an experience that I would give, truthfully, almost anything to relive again. Kids today have absolutely no idea just how lucky they are to live in an age where digital movie magic is a normal thing. Anyways, the new Matrix film, sign me up. So there we go. Until next time, on behalf of the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, we say be safe, be well, and have a great Christmas. Nusta, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of the Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for the latest news on downloads and to explore past episodes. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.